Well, welcome. We're so glad that you are here today. As many of you know, I grew up overseas. So I grew, I was born in Italy. And uh, when I was born in Italy, my parents were missionaries there and they lived in a little travel trailer. And so I was their third child and they lived in the travel trailer. <laughs> so they were really excited when I came along, but they also recognized that the travel trailer was entirely too small for three children all under the age of five at the time. And so um, they sold this little bitty travel trailer, and uh, it wasn't super nice to begin with. Like, it was... It was a used travel trailer to begin with. And so after they lived in it a few years, they sold it in Italy, and they had this sum of money. And that's all the money they had, and it wasn't a ton of money. But they said, we need to find a place to live. And so they looked around, and they were near Milan, northern Italy at the time. And uh, the only place that they could afford was about an hour outside of Milan in this rural retirement village. And the only place in this rural retirement village that they could afford was a rundown, dilapidated section of an abbey built in the 8th century. So... It, I mean, talk about history. So outside of my window, this was my view. I saw the clock tower because the abbey was like right next to the big courtyard that had the church. That's where I went to kindergarten. And, and the, the clock tower I, it brings back fond memories um, because it, it rings, like the bell rings every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes. As a child, I never noticed it. But I went back to visit years later as an adult, and I could not sleep. But once you live there, you just get, you get used to it. And uh, at the time, this, the, the place they bought, I mean, was, rain was coming in. The pigeons had taken over the attic. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But slowly, they have remodeled it. And now currently, after having been gone to Africa for many, many years, they are now living, still living in this house that they, or house, section of an abbey that they had bought back then. And what's beautiful when you go inside is you see the history. You see the history. And I remember one of the, the interesting things, like you walk through a doorway, and some of the doorways are pretty normal, but others you walk through the doorway, and it's like a three-foot doorway because the walls in certain sections are three-foot wide. And in certain places, they're, they're more this terracotta brick, and in other places, there are these giant stones that the abbey was built out of. And so that, that's really been the picture in my mind this week as I've been studying for this, um, for this lesson. Um, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and Peter uses a building metaphor in describing Jesus and describing the church. So Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And about 30 years after Jesus' ministry, he wrote this letter to the Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And we've been, we've been studying through this letter. Um, and, and today we've gotten to chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, 
Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, we're being built into a spiritual house. And it's interesting, much like the, the town I was describing later on in history, in, in Jesus' day here, the building material of the day really was stone. And so those who come to Jesus, the living stone, are being built into spiritual houses. What an interesting analogy. You know, the, the house of God, a spiritual house, had great significance to the Israelites. First, in, in the Israelite history, they had the tabernacle, the tent, that as they wandered through the desert, God was with them in the pillar of cloud, in the pillar of fire, and then they would set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And when they went in to meet with God, the pillar of cloud would come and settle over the tabernacle, and God would meet with his people there. And then later on, they built the temple, and that was the center of the Jewish community. That was the center of, of religious life, and that was the center of cult, the culture's life. And here... Peter says, we, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, we the living, become living stones, and God builds us into a spiritual house where God meets with his people. And I love that, because the temple was holy, and it was set apart, and was treated with extreme care. It's interesting um, that he says, you also, like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house to me. In our Western um, mindset that's very individualistic, we often think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as personal. And it is. Like, I, I believe in Jesus, and the Spirit of God lives in me, and I am, I am a temple of God, and God meets with me. However, there's more to it than just that. Here, Peter draws attention to something more, something bigger than just one person. He says, you like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house. That God takes our individual lives and he puts us all together and he's building something. He's building a spiritual house out of all of us, something bigger than just one of us. His kingdom, his church, is built when we come together. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 as well. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cor chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Oh, I love that definition, that description of the church, that we are 
a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. And Peter goes on to specify the purpose for which this spiritual house was built. He says, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So our purpose is to be a holy priesthood. Now that's kind of a foreign concept to some of us. Um, I don't know what you think of when you think of a priest. I think of the long robes, which is totally fine, but that doesn't resonate, you know, with me. So, so I want to ask, what is, what, what is a priest? What is the function of a priest? If we're to be a holy priesthood, And a priest was a person who represented God to the people. A priest was a person who interceded for people, who led people towards God. And one of the primary functions of the priest, especially in the Old Testament, was to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. And in the Old Testament, those sacrifices were animal sacrifices and grain um, offerings and, and different, different types of offerings. And the purpose of those sacrifices were to atone for sin, to make reparation for the sin, to reconcile people to God after they had sinned. And, it, and because of that, it was this continual thing, like continually these sacrifices had to be made. And this system of sacrifice was a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus. And then when Jesus came in the New Testament, we read that he offered himself as the final sacrifice that would atone for sin, past, present, and future for anyone who believed in him and put their faith in him. In Hebrews Peter, in fact, um, um, not Peter, Paul, excuse me. Paul, in fact, refers to Jesus as the great high priest. And then here, Peter says, you are living, these living stones being built into a spiritual house for the purpose so that you can be a, a royal priesthood. And Peter says, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. Now, if Jesus has paid the final sacrifice that is needed, then what kind of sacrifices do we, do we make as, as royal priests? Romans 12 speaks to this in verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? Living sacrifice. When I think of that, I think of living in a sacrificial way, living for God's purposes, living um, in such a way that we show love and care for others as God would want us to. 
In, in his book, um, Robert Mulholland, he wrote a book called Invitation to the Journey. I think I spoke about it a few months ago. But one of the things he, ta- he talked in there about uh, spiritual formation and the transformation that God does in us and the definition he gave for spiritual formation has just really stuck with me. He said, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. The process of being formed into the image of Christ, the process of becoming more like Jesus for the sake of others. And I love that last line because so often it's easy to just not not add that little last line and say, just for my sake, it would be good for me to become more like Jesus. And yet it's also for the sake of others. We're to be a holy priesthood representing God, interceding for people, and living in sacrificial ways for people. So Peter is just going with this building metaphor, and I I just love it. And he continues in this passage. So continuing on in um, verse 6, he elaborates on this. He quotes three scriptures, two from Isaiah and one from Psalms. And this is what he says. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious, precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Already in this passage, Peter has talked about how we are living stones being made into a spiritual house. And now he goes in specifically speaking of Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. And I'm not an engineer, but from what I've read, a cornerstone is pretty important. <laughs> um, so a cornerstone was the first stone typically laid for a foundation. And it was on the corner. It needed to be the strongest stone. It needed to be square and it needed to be level, and it needed to be laid just perfectly because all the other stones of the building would be lined up to the cornerstone. So the the cornerstone determined the strength, and it determined the structure of the building. And so Isaiah prophesies that God will lay this chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus, And yet some would choose to reject him. And they would stumble and fall when they choose to reject him. And others would trust in him and never be put to shame. And then Peter continues. The last section we'll read today in 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. But you, you are a chosen people. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Peter here talks about our identity. He uses adjectives such as chosen and royal and holy. I'm curious, when you looked in the mirror today, is, are those the words that, that came to mind? You know, often when I look in the mirror, those aren't the words that come to mind. But this is what has been declared over us, that we are chosen, royal, and holy. Do you, can you think of a time when you were chosen for something? I, I think of a, I was a teacher, I was a third grade teacher for nine years, and about four years in, I was teaching in Pasco, and I wanted to move to Kennewick. And so I put in my application for this specific job, and I go in, and I'm all nervous, and I do the interview, and I wait a whole week to find out, yes, you've been chosen. And then later, I found out that there were 150 applicants for that half-time position. And I remember that feeling of, wow, God really orchestrated that. I was, I was chosen for something. And often when we think of being chosen in our culture, in our society, part of the co- uh, connotations that go with that is that to be chosen, someone else had to be excluded. So like in that interview, I was chosen, but that meant that a whole bunch of other people weren't chosen. And sometimes when we read this word chosen, that's what we're thinking. And this is different. Peter here says we are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. So we're chosen to be the priest that draws people in. We're we're chosen not to exclude, but to invite people into the kingdom of God. Remember, the priest is the person who represents God, who intercedes for people and leads people to God. So we are chosen for a purpose. Last week, Micah talked about being holy. And here it says to be a holy nation. And to be holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose purpose. And Peter goes there. He says, you're a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love the imagery. He, he has building imagery, and now he's talking about light and darkness. I don't know if you have any campers in in here today. Micah and I love to go camping. And um, sometimes when you're out there, you know, by the fire, looking up, I mean, it's just gorgeous. And the moon's out and the stars are out. And it's like you can see. It's nighttime, but you can see. And then other times you go camping and it's pitch black. And on those nights, I always have my flashlight with me. I always have, a fl- I know where it is, and I usually have more than one because light just cuts right through that darkness. And Peter here says, you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. In John 8, Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. And God, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God has called us who believe in Jesus, called us out of darkness into his wonderful light that we might shine that light, that we might reflect the light of Jesus out to others. Our purpose is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages. When we were going through who's doing what, I picked this one. I was like, I want that one. I really like it. And I think for me and for us, when, when, I, when I read through this and I really think about it, a question comes to mind. And I think it's worth reflecting on, asking ourselves, how are we fulfilling our God-given purpose? So if our purpose is to declare the praises as his chosen people, as his royal priesthood, a holy nation, if our purpose is to declare his praises of how he's called us out of the darkness into this light, how are we doing with that? Here in the Tri-Cities, how's the church, not just the vine, but the church as a whole? Think about it in different levels. Think about it me personally, we can think about it as the Vine Church. We can think about it as our faith community at large. How are we doing in fulfilling this purpose? What about at our workplaces? How are we shining the light in our homes with those that we love the most, who often see the worst side of us? How are we doing? How can we do better in that? With our friends, with the strangers that we meet, with the people that society has deemed less than. How are we doing with that church? In Guinea, um, so when I, we lived in Italy until I was six. And then when I was six, we moved to Guinea, West Africa. And uh, for eight years, we lived in a rural African village. And we were the last house on the road, right by the river. And for many of those years, there was an empty lot right next to our house. And I remember playing as a kid. We'd play on the lot and stuff. And then a few years into our stay there, the neighbor um, got enough money to start building a house. And so I remember watching the workers, they laid the foundation and then they started building the the walls up with the bricks and we watched them day in, day out. And then all of a sudden, the workers stopped coming. So the walls had been mostly built, but there was no roof, there's no doors, no windows, and the house was just sitting there. Clearly a house, but it was just sitting there. And find out that the neighbor had run out of money. And so had only been able to complete the first portion of the house. And I remember for the rest of my stay there in Wonkifong, that was the name of the village, um, the house was empty. And in fact, it started deteriorating a little bit. And the walls were, were starting to crumble a little bit. And then I came now, back to the United States and went to college. And when I went to visit my parents one time, like years later, we went to the village and we went to our house and I saw that the house had been complete. 
And there were people going in and out of the house. And it was loud. And there were conversations being had. And there was food cooking on the outside fire there. And I remember feeling excited. Hey, the house is finished. Like, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing now. People are coming and going. That's what having a house is all about. And this just reminds me that it's possible to resemble a spiritual house and not fulfill our purpose. It's possible to resemble a house and yet miss our purpose. The church is meant to be this beautiful, diverse community of people who've been called out of darkness into the light and people who are walking in the living hope of Jesus, people who are experiencing healing and restoration through the Spirit, people who can rest in the experience of knowing that we are dearly loved by the Father. And yet this this work in us, this redemptive, beautiful work in us, isn't just for our sake. It's for the sake of others. God builds us into a spiritual house for the sake of others. We are chosen, we are set apart for the sake of others that we might declare God's praises. We experience healing that we might tell people about it. We walk in hope that when someone is hopeless, we can share our experience. We're filled with peace that we don't always understand so that we can point people to the God of peace. We are defined by God's unconditional love so we can help others find rest and security in an identity of being God's loved children. This is what being the church is all about. This is what being the kingdom of God is all about. And yet sometimes when we look in the mirror, we don't feel very chosen. We don't feel very set apart or royal. And so we want to wait. You're like, you know what? Well, let's, let me just wait to, to share God because let, let, let me just have God work in me right now. And then once I've, once I'm okay or once I've arrived, quote unquote, arrived, whatever that means, then I'll start sharing God's love with the people that I meet. And that's not how the church works. God is working on all of us. None of us are perfect. But it's this beautiful journey of as God works on us, he has also declared us already to be chosen, to be royal, to be holy. And this is our identity. It says, you come to me, Jesus, and, and I will make you a living stone with a spiritual house and you'll draw people in and I will walk with you. This is what being the church is all about. The time is now to share God's love. Here at the Vine, um, if you've been with us long, you've heard us say, belong, believe, become. It's like every week we at least talk about belonging, but belong, believe, become. You know, and, and we really believe in that. 
the idea of you can belong here, that we each belong here, no matter what, wherever we're at in our journey. If you want to explore God, if you want to explore Jesus, we can belong together as a community. And as we belong together, as we belong together, we want you to know that we believe in Jesus. And he has done powerful things in our lives. And we believe that he is our Lord and Savior. And it maybe you're, you're fairly new here. And you're not sure what all that means yet. And we just want you to know that we would love to explore that with you. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And, and what specifically do we, do we believe and why? And what has Jesus done in our lives? It would be our honor to share that with you. So please, please come talk with us if you want to explore that more. But as we're, we're on this journey of believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of this journey. And then God begins to work in our lives, and we become the people that he has called us to be. And he has called us to be chosen people. He has called us to be a royal priesthood and a holy, set-apart nation. And so our invitation today is twofold. It's to know Jesus. And maybe that's what your step is right now, to know Jesus who calls us out of the darkness into the one, his wonderful light, to know hope and to know healing and love. And then it's also, as someone who knows Jesus, our invitation is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. And everything we do and say to declare God's praises, because this is our purpose, church. This is what we were made to do. And our families and our friends and our acquaintances and our coworkers and the stranger we meet, they need us to reflect the light of Jesus, because that is what we're called to do. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of the darkness, Lord, into your wonderful light. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the light, Lord, that Jesus is love, and Lord, that we find hope and forgiveness and peace and strength in him. And God, I just ask for myself, and I ask for the Vine Church and the church at large, Lord, that you would help us to really understand our identity as sent people, our identity as your priesthood, Lord, that we are to shine your light wherever we go in all the conversations we have, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to be your people on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So I leave you with this benediction, us with this benediction today. May we experience the love of God who calls us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And may we hear the voice of God declaring us chosen and royal and holy. And then may we declare God's praises every day in all that we do and all that we say. Have a blessed week.